Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Course in Miracles daily reading conference call. We read from the text of A Course in Miracles original edition, published by our dear friends at the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net, or if you mouse for the link at top for online edition, you'll see the link to read A Course in Miracles OE. I think we have one unmuted line, if you please. Um, also at that website, there's a tab called Lesson Sign Up, where you can sign up to receive an excellent daily email containing both the text reading for the day as well as the lesson for the day. Uh, today we continue our reading of Chapter 9. Today reading Section 3, Atonement as a Lesson in Sharing. We're also mindful of our lesson today, Lesson 102. I share God's will for happiness for me. And by way of opening this morning, I was just so happy to find this poem that I think um, speaks to both the lesson and the text reading for the day. It's in the book Susceptible to Light by Shailen Harkin. It's called We Need to Meet Again. We need to meet again. If it's been a week, a day, even a moment since we met, we need to meet again. Aren't you a brand new creation too? Can this be our only binding contract? To meet anew in the rising wave of each moment, that meadow of perfect freshness? With each glance, let us renew our vows again and again at the holy altar of complete undoing. Let us not be so stiff and uncreative as to hold each other to the molds of yesterday. These souls are constantly entering and emerging through new chrysalises. This ancient pair of wings is ready again to take its first flight. I share God's will for happiness for me. Amen. Thank you, I love that. What what is the poem called? It's called We Need to Meet Again. Oh, we need to meet again. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, thank you. Oh, thanks, Robin Marie. I'm glad you like that one. I too spoke to the freshness and newness. Okay, my friends, here's our reading list this morning. We have Lemoyne, Fran, Karen, Harrison, Robin Marie, and who's joined us that we haven't greeted yet this morning or who would like to be on the reading list. Good morning, good morning Diana. I'm listening. Uh, good morning, Sandra, and good morning, Diana. And good Sandra, morning. can I put you on the... Hi. Oh, hi, Ida. Hi, honey. I'm listening. Okay. Thanks. Yes. You can put me on the reading list. Thank you, dear. Okay. All righty. I miss anybody. Um, Lori, anyone else? Do you mind? Lori, would you mind putting me at the end of the list, please? I will do that, Harrison. You bet. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. I missed anyone. 
Okay then. So we begin again in chapter 9, the correction of error with section 3, atonement as a lesson in sharing. Beginning with paragraph 9. Atonement is for all because it is the only way to undo the belief that anything is for you alone. To forgive is to overlook. Look then beyond error and do not let your perception rest upon it, for you will believe what your perception holds. Accept as true only what your brother is if you would know yourself. Perceive what he is not, and you cannot know what you are because you see him falsely. Remember also, remember always that your identity is shared and that its sharing is its reality. Mm. Moin. Chapter 9, The Correction of Error. Section 3, Atonement as a Lesson in Sharing. Atonement is for all, because it is the way to undo the belief that anything is for you alone. To forgive is to overlook. Look then beyond error, and do not let your perception rest upon it, for you will believe what your perception holds. Accept as true only what your brother is, if you would know yourself. Perceive what he is not, and you cannot know what you are because you have he you see him falsely. Remember always that your identity is shared and that its sharing is its reality. You have a part to play in the atonement, but the plan of the atonement is beyond you. You do not know how to overlook errors, or you would not make them. It would merely be further error to think either that you do not make them, or that you can correct them without a guide to correction. And if you do not follow this guide, your errors will not be corrected. The plan is not yours because of your limited ideas of what you are. This limitation is where all errors arise. The way to undo them, therefore, is not of you, but for you. Thank you, Lemoyne. And Fran. Ken, you have a part to play in the atonement, but the plan of the atonement is beyond you. You do not know how to overlook errors, or you would not make them. It would merely be further error to think either that you do not make them, or that you can correct them without a guide to correction. And if you do not follow this guide, your errors will not be corrected. The plan is because of your limited ideas of what you are. This limitation is where all errors arise. The way to undo them, therefore, is not of you, but for you. 11. The atonement 
is a lesson in sharing, which is given you because you have forgotten how to do it. The Holy Spirit will remind you of what is your natural ability. By reinterpreting the ability to attack, which you did make, into the ability to share, he translates what you have made into what God created. If you would accomplish this through him, you cannot look on your abilities through the eyes of the ego, or you will judge them as it does. All their harmfulness lies in its judgment. All their healthfulness lies in the judgment of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Fran. And Karen. Eleven. The atonement is a lesson in sharing, which is given you because you have forgotten how to do it. The Holy Spirit merely reminds you of what is your natural ability. By reinterpreting the ability to attack, which you did make, into the ability to share. He translates what you have made into what God created. If you would accomplish this through him, you cannot look on your abilities through the eyes of the ego, or you will judge them as it does. All their harmfulness lies in its judgment. All their helpfulness lies in the judgment of the Holy Spirit. 12. The ego, too, has a plan of forgiveness because you are asking for one, though not of the right teacher. The ego's plan, of course, makes no, makes no sense and will not work. By following it, you will merely place yourself in an impossible situation to which the ego always leads you. The ego's plan is to have you see error clearly first and then overlook it. Yet how can you overlook what you have made real? By seeing it clearly, you have made it real and cannot overlook it. Thank you, Karen. And Robin Marie? Well, the ego, too, has a plan of forgiveness because you are asking for one, though not of the right teacher. The ego's plan, of course, makes no sense and will not work. By following it, you will merely place yourself in an impossible situation to which the ego always leads you. The ego's plan is to have you see error clearly first and then overlook it. Yet how can you overlook what you have made real? By seeing it clearly, you have made it real and cannot overlook it. 13. This is where the ego is forced to appeal to, quote, mysteries, unquote, and begins to insist that you must accept the meaningless to save yourself. Many have tried to do this in my name, forgetting that my words make perfect sense because they come from God. They are as sensible now as they ever were because they speak of ideas which are eternal. Forgiveness that is learned of me does not use fear to undo fear. 
nor does it make real the unreal and then destroy it. Thank you, Robin Marie. And Sandra? Squeaking in the background, so I apologize for that. <laughs> 13, yes? Uh, yes, um, 13 and 14. Mm-hmm. This is where the ego is forced to appeal to mysteries and begins to insist that you must accept the meaningless to save yourself. Many have tried to do this in my name, forgetting that my words make perfect sense because they come from God. They are as sensible now as they ever were because they speak of ideas which are, essential, which are eternal. Forgiveness that is learned of me does not use fear to undo fear, nor does it make real the unreal and then destroy it. Forgiveness through the Holy Spirit lies simply in looking beyond error from the beginning and thus keeping it unreal for you. Do not let any belief in its realness enter your mind at all, or you will also believe that you must undo what you have made in order to be forgiven. What has no effect does not exist, and to the Holy Spirit, the effect of error are totally non-existent. By steadily and consistently canceling out all of its effects everywhere and in all respects, he teaches that the ego does not exist and proves it. Follow his teaching in forgiveness then, because forgiveness is his function, and he knows how to fulfill it perfectly. That is what we meant when we once said that miracles are natural, and when they do not occur, something has gone wrong. Thank you, Sandra. And uh, Harrison. 14. Forgiveness to the Holy Spirit lies simply in looking beyond earth from the beginning and thus keeping it unreal for you. Do not let any belief in its realness enter your minds at all, or you will also believe that you must undo what you have made in order to be forgiven. What has no effect does not exist. And to the Holy Spirit, the effects of error are totally non-existent. By steadily and consistently canceling out all its effects everywhere and in all respects, he teaches that the ego does not exist and proves it. Follow his teaching in forgiveness then, because forgiveness is his function, and he knows how 
to fulfill it perfectly. That is what we meant when we once said that miracles are natural. And when they do not occur, something has gone wrong. Fifteen. Miracles are merely the sign of your of your willingness to follow the Holy Spirit's plan of salvation in recognition of the fact that you do not know what it is. His work is not your function. And unless you accept this, you cannot learn what your function is. The confusion of functions is so typical of the ego that you should be quite familiar with it by now. The ego believes that all functions belong to it, even though it has no idea what they are. This is more than mere confusion. It is a particularly dangerous combination of grandiosity and confusion, which makes it likely that the ego will attack anyone and anything for no reason at all. This is exactly what the ego does. It is totally unpredictable in its responses because it has no idea of what it perceives. Thank you, Harrison. And is there a new reader for 15 and 16? This is Jessica. I can read. Thanks, Jessica. 15. Miracles are merely the sign of your willingness to follow the Holy Spirit's plan of salvation in recognition of the fact that you do not know what it is. His work is not your function. And unless you accept this, you cannot learn what your function is. The confusion of functions is so typical of the ego that you should be quite familiar with it by now. The ego believes that all functions belong to it, even though it has no idea what they are. This is more than mere confusion. It is a particularly dangerous combination of grandiosity and confusion, which makes it likely that the ego will attack anyone and anything for no reason at all. This is exactly what the ego does. It is totally unpredictable in its responses because it has no idea of what it perceives. If one has no idea of what is happening, how, can a, how appropriately can you expect him to react? You might still ask yourself, regardless of how you can account for the re- actions, 
whether they place the ego in a very sound position as the guide for yours. It seems absurd to have to emphasize repeatedly that the ego's qualifications as a guide are singularly unfortunate and that it is a remarkably poor choice as a teacher of salvation. (laughs) Yet this question, ridiculous as it seems, is really the crucial issue in the whole separation fantasy. Anyone who elects a totally insane guide must be totally insane himself. Thank you, Jessica. And is there another new reader for 16 and 17? I can do it. Um, This is Reverend Regis Joy. Well, thank you. Yeah, although, let me plug my phone into because it's about to go out of of juice. Just one second. Sorry. (laughs) One second. Just look down and saw. Oh, my God. One second. There, he's got life support. Okay. Now, over to 60. Uh, okay, great. All right. <laughs> if one has no idea of what is happening, how appropriately can you expect him to react? You might still ask yourself, regardless of how you can account for the reactions, whether they place the ego in a very sound position as a guide for yours. It seems absurd to have to emphasize repeatedly that the ego's qualification as a guide, are singularly unfortunate and that it is a remarkably poor choice as a teacher of salvation. It does make us laugh, doesn't it? Yet this question, ridiculous as it seems, is really the crucial issue in the whole separation fantasy. Anyone who elects a totally insane guide must be totally insane himself. At 17, it is not true that you do not know the guide is insane. You know it, because I know it, and you have judged it by the same standard as I have. The ego literally lives on borrowed time, and its days are numbered. Do not fear the last judgment, but welcome it, and do not wait. The ego's time is borrowed from your eternity. This is the second coming, which was made for you, as the first was created. The second coming... It's merely the return of sense. Can this possibly be shareable? Thank you, Reverend Regia. And is there another new reader for 17 and 18? Good morning, Lori. I can do it. Thank you, Judy. It is not true that you do not know the guide is insane. You know it because I know it, and you have judged it by the same standard as I have. The ego literally lives on borrowed time, and its days are numbered. I love that. (laughs) Do not fear the last judgment, but welcome it, and do not wait. Do not wait, for the ego's time is borrowed from your eternity. This is the second coming, 
which was made for you as the first was created. The second coming is merely the return of sense. Can this possibly be fearful? A fearful fantasy. Here we go. What can be fearful but fantasy? And no one turns turns to fantasy unless he despairs. Oh, this is something. Unless he despairs of finding satisfaction in reality. Yet it is certain that he will never find satisfaction in fantasy. So that his only hope is to change his mind about reality. If or only if the decision that reality is fearful is wrong, can God be right? And I assure you that God is right. Be glad then that you have been wrong. But this was only because you did not know who you are or who you were. (laughs) Excuse me. (laughs) I always read this in the first first person to myself. I've been reading it so long. (laughs) Had you remembered, you could no more have been wrong than God can. Thank you. The impossible can happen only in fantasy. When you search for reality and fantasies, you will not find it. The symbols of fantasy are of the ego, and of these you will find many. But do not look for meaning in them. They have no more meaning than the fantasies into which they are woven. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Judy. And is there another narrator for 18 and 19? Eighteen and nineteen. All righty, back to you here, uh, Lemoyne. What can be fearful but fantasy? And no one turns to fantasy unless he despairs of finding satisfaction in reality. Yet it is certain that he will never find satisfaction in fantasy, so that his only hope is to change his mind about reality. Only if the decision that reality is fearful is wrong can God be right. And I assure you that God is right. Be glad, then, that you have been wrong. This was only because you did not know who you were. Had you remembered, you could no more have been wrong than God can. The impossible can happen only in fantasy. When you search for reality in fantasy, you will not find it. The symbols of fantasy are of the ego, and of these you will find many. But do not look for meaning in them. They have no more meaning than the fantasies into which they are woven. Fairy tales can be pleasant or fearful, pretty or ugly, but no one calls them true. 
children may believe them, and so for a while the tales are true for them. Yet when reality dawns, the fantasies are gone. Reality has not gone in the meanwhile. The second coming is the awareness of reality, not its return. Behold, my children, reality is here. It belongs to you and me and God and is perfectly satisfying to all of us. Only this awareness heals because it is the awareness of truth. Mm, Thank you, Lemoyne. And Fran. 19. Fairy tales can be pleasant or fearful, pretty or ugly, but no one calls them true. Children may believe them, and so for a while the tales are true for them. Yet when reality dawns, the fantasies are gone. Reality has not gone in the meanwhile. The second coming is the awareness of reality, not its return. Behold, my children, reality is here. It belongs to you and me and God and is perfectly satisfying to all of us. Only this awareness heals because it is the awareness of truth. Amen. Oh, thank you, Fran. Thank you, everyone who read this morning and everyone who listened. Um, oh, this essential, essential section of Tillman as a lesson in sharing. It's so perfectly laid out. Just to touch a few of the ideas that stand out for me, starting in that first paragraph, this lesson in sharing atonement is a lesson is for all because it is the only way to undo the belief that anything is for you alone. To forgive is to overlook. Look then beyond error and do not let your perception rest upon it. Accept as true only what your brother is if you would know yourself. Remember always that your identity is shared and that its sharing is its reality. You have a part to play in the atonement, but the plan of the atonement is beyond you. The plan is not yours because of your limited ideas of what you are. This limitation is where all errors rise. The way to undo them, therefore, is not of you, but for you. In 11, the atonement is a lesson in sharing which is given you because you have forgotten how to do it. The Holy Spirit merely reminds you of what is your natural ability. You cannot look on your abilities through the eyes of the ego or you will judge them as it does. All their harmfulness lies in its judgment. All their helpfulness lies in the judgment of the Holy Spirit. In 12, the ego's plan is to have you see error clearly first and then overlook it. Yet how can you overlook what you have made real? By seeing it clearly, you have made it real and cannot overlook it. In 13, forgiveness that is learned of me does not use fear to undo fear, nor does it make real the unreal 
and then destroy it. Forgiveness through the Holy Spirit lies simply in looking beyond error from the beginning and thus keeping it unreal for you. To the Holy Spirit, the effects of error are totally non-existent. And by steadily and consistently canceling out all its effects everywhere and in all respects, he teaches that the ego does not exist and proves it. Follow his teaching and forgiveness then, because forgiveness is his function, and he knows how to fulfill it perfectly. That is what we meant when we once said that miracles are natural, and when they do not occur, something has gone wrong. To emphasize, then, the next paragraph, miracles are merely, merely the sign of your willingness to follow the Holy Spirit's plan of salvation in recognition of the fact that you do not know what it is. His work is not your function. And unless you accept this, you cannot learn what your function is. Ego is totally unpredictable in its responses because it has no idea of what it perceives. In 16, the ego's qualifications as a kite are singularly unfortunate and that it and that it is a remarkably poor choice as a teacher of salvation is emphasized. Yet this question, ridiculous as it seems, is really the crucial issue in the whole separation fantasy. Anyone who elects a totally insane guide must be totally insane himself. Oh boy. And in 17, the ego literally lives on borrowed time and its days are numbered. Do not fear the last judgment, but welcome it. And do not wait, for the ego's time is borrowed from your eternity. This is the second coming, which was made for you as the first was created. The second coming is merely the return of sense. Can this possibly be fearful? Only if the decision that reality is fearful, wrong, that God can be right. And I assure you that God is right. Be glad then that you have been wrong. Oh boy, be glad that you have been wrong. But this was only because you did not know who you were. Had you remembered, you could no more have been wrong than God can. And finally, when reality dawns, fantasies are gone. Reality has not gone in the meanwhile. The second coming is the awareness of reality, not its return. Behold, my children, reality is here. It belongs to you, me, and God, and is perfectly satisfying to all of us. Only this awareness heals, because it is the awareness of truth. And there he lays it out so clearly. Amen. And let's see. Oh, you know what? We have five minutes before the top of the hour, and I think um, in light of what he's given us here, uh, a perfect response at this moment in time would be, I share God's will for happiness for me. Um, so if we don't mind, maybe we can do it just a little bit before the top of the hour. Fran, if you're so willing, we sure appreciate your leading us. 
Thank you. I'm so willing. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Hi, everybody. We are still in the first part of the workbook, and today we are on Lesson 102. I share God's will for happiness for me. So I shall read some from the lesson. You do not want to suffer. You may think it buys you something and may still believe a little that it buys you what you want. Yet this belief is surely shaken now, at least enough to let you question it and to suspect it really makes no sense. Today, we try to lose its weakened hold still further and to realize that pain is purposeless, without a cause, and with no power to accomplish anything. Be you free today to join the happy will of God. For several days, we will continue to devote our longer practice periods to exercise this plan to help you reach the happiness God's will has placed in you. Here is your home. Here is your peace. Here is rest at last. Begin the longer practice periods today with this acceptance of God's will for you. I share God's will for happiness for me, and I accept it as my function now. Then seek this function deep within your mind, for it is there, waiting but your choice. Be happy, for your only function here is happiness. You have no need to be less loving to God's Son than he whose love created him as loving as himself. Besides these hourly five-minute rests, pause frequently today to tell yourself that you have now accepted happiness as your one function, and be sure that you are joining with God's will in doing this. So we'll do the five-minute top-of-the-hour practice. I share God's will for happiness for me.
Be happy, for your only function here is happiness. Lesson 102, I share God's will for happiness for me. Amen. Amen. Oh, thank you, Fran. Welcome. Welcome. <clears throat> Hi, this is Yogi Chris. I'm here, happily listening. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. Are we meditating? We're through meditating. Good morning, Karen. Oh, good. Can I share? I'm sorry. I had to step off the call for a second. <laughs> you bet. <laughs> um, okay. So first of all, it said that uh, that we don't have to pay for happiness. What was the first thing in the in the lesson that really struck me the second time? third time I did it this morning with um, just now. I don't have to pay for happiness. And then my mind went, well, when I learned to meditate, I had to sit on the floor cross-legged, not move for two hours, and deal with the pain in my body. And actually, I was pregnant at the time, and um, my nose was running because I was allergic to the birds in the room. And I wasn't allowed to wipe my nose, so on my big pregnant belly, there was all this knot. <laughs> and I thought that's what I had to do to be spiritual and to be purified, right? And then, and then after that, there were years of, of doing service uh, at the ashram, which is like work, 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 work. Your body is so broken by the end of the day, you can't walk to where you're sleeping. And I thought, well, that's purifying me. I, you know, I'm getting purified. And this morning it said, I hear God's will for happiness for me. And I thought about it, and I thought, geez, yesterday I just couldn't. So many times over the course of studying the course with you, I've thought, I don't have any joy. I don't know where joy went, but, you know. And then I had a grandbaby, and... When she smiles, I feel so much joy. It just like explodes in me. So there is joy. There is a capacity for joy. But today when I did the lesson, I thought, oh, I'm so happy that I belong to God. I am so happy that I can rest in God. I am so happy I don't have to do anything. I'm so happy I am, I am as God created me. I still am as God created me. I'm so happy there is no sin. 
and there's no consequence to sin. And I am so happy that that's truth. And I am so happy that I am spirit, that I am spirit and I am a child of God, a holy child of God, and that I'm free of limitations. I'm so happy that I'm safe. I'm so happy that I'm healed and whole in God. I'm so happy that I'm free to forgive. I'm so happy that I'm free to to share salvation with others. I'm so happy that I am under no laws but God's. And the, and then it goes on and on. You know, every single lesson is something to be happy for. I'm so happy that this world is meaningless, that all the associations that I've created and all the stories that I've created and all the history I've believed I was is not real. (laughs) And there's just so much happiness. And all of a sudden it seems to me like finally I understand why happiness is a choice. Happiness is just a choice. You know, it's a choice to accept Everything God gives us, that the Course is teaching us, all these corrections in our belief system, in our thought system, in our, you know, understanding of the world, such a relief. It's such a relief. And before I thought I was so sinful that suffering and pain was necessary to balance out all my karma, all my samskaras, all my evil. And you know what? I was I I did I did all of that for so many years, but I still felt unworthy. I still self-destructed and attacked myself. And I still felt separate and I still I mean, I obviously had incredible bliss at different times. And I felt like I had arrived and I was home, but I lost it because it was all contingent on this falsehood, this belief in sin. Anyway, so this lesson meant a lot to me, and if there were, if it was one of the giant strides, I think it should be one of the giant strides because for my personal evolution, this was a giant stride huge step forward today I'm so grateful not to not to believe all the things I was taught before I'm complete oh my gosh what a gorgeous declaration of I will accept atonement for myself (laughs) I just have tears running down my face Karen thank you yeah, thank you. Congratulations. Way to go. Hallelujah. <laughs> that was amazing. Yay. Thank you for sharing it, my happiness. Thanks. Oh, what a delight. <laughs> thank you. I and he starts off this lesson with, you do not want to suffer. I sure don't. And talks about 
Why I suffer? I suffer because I think it buys me something that it buys me what I want. That's a belief system. And I shared on an earlier call how my mother in particular uh, shared her belief in suffering. Um, And it seemed she had every reason to believe that she was suffering. She was the wife of a sharecropper on a sharecropper farm when you didn't know how you were going to feed your family, especially in the lean times when uh, you didn't seem to make any money from working a full year on the farm and the boss man says, well, we did okay, but we broke even, so that means you owe me (laughs) Um, lots of money for all of the money that I've loaned you so you could buy groceries and take care of your family. So it seemed that she had every reason to believe in the suffering and she shared that belief with her children. And I can remember watching her cry and I would cry. And she didn't seem to understand why I was crying. So suffering has been a part of my life since I can remember anything. And when he starts the lesson with, you do not want to suffer, amen, brother. I don't want to suffer. And then he goes on to explain why I think I suffer. It's because I think it buys me something. At the very least, it buys me sympathy. (laughs) And thank God for this discussion. This one unmuted line, one unmuted line. And thank God for this lesson. What this lesson really says to me is that happiness is my right. It's 
I was created to be happy because that's God's will for me. And all I have to do is accept it as my function now. There's the rub. Can I accept happiness as my function now? Today's reading at the end says, when reality dawns, the fantasies are gone. Reality has not gone in the meanwhile. Happiness is my reality. The second coming is the awareness of reality, not its return. Reality has always been there. I was just not aware of it. But when I realize that happiness is God's will for me, and all I have to do is accept it, just be happy. That's God's will for me. He says, Behold, my children, reality is here. Happiness is reality. It, reality, belongs to you and me and God and is perfectly satisfying to all of us. Only this awareness only the awareness of the second coming which is my reality which is happiness. Only this awareness heals because it is the awareness of the truth. That's all I need. I share God's will for happiness for me and I accept it as my function now. I'm complete. Oh, that was so beautiful, Harrison. Thank you for such yeah. a depth share. Thank you so yeah. much, Harrison. Thank you. Thank you. I love Harrison. the way you. I love you say the way you said happiness is my reality. I love the way you put that all together with the reading. Thank you. Hi, this is Diana. Uh, thank you everybody for their shares. Um, while, when I was working as a hairstylist, 
in my um, color cabinet, I had a sign when I opened it that said, Happiness Loves Company. And listening to this lesson today, it's a great reminder to say, happiness is the way. Happiness is love. Happiness is light. Happiness is a way back to yourself with total freedom and release. I, um, when I'm not in a place of happiness, I wear stress. It, 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 it appears on my body and my neck and my shoulders. It, it retains weight. It, there's a lot of destructive things that come from holding on. But when you can let go and allow your, your rightful birth function of happiness, things begin to reorganize themselves and, and the flow continues and it feels good. And it felt good just even doing the lesson today and hearing the functions of happiness. So anyway, I'm complete. Thank you for letting me share. Oh, thank you for sharing, Diana. So good to hear you today. Thank you, Diana. Thank You're you, Diana. Good to hear, hear you. Hi, this is Good morning, it's Mindy. Just wanted to say one brief little thing. I share God's will for happiness for me. I got up and walked out today, and spring is in the air. The trees are, well, they're still beautiful black silhouettes, lacy silhouettes against the blue sky, but um, daffodils popping up and birds singing and the air so fresh. How could God's will be anything but happiness for me? As of yesterday's lesson, with all this beauty, and of course, I share God's will of happiness for me. And the one thing that I want to recognize is that the ego constantly tells me that I have to do more, be more, make up for something, and then I'm deserving of being happy. And I'm happy to say that I'm beginning to catch that voice more often before I invest in it and believe in it and lose my sense of happiness. <laughs> uh, happiness is my natural state. I'm complete. Thank you. Thank you, Mindy. Good to hear you today. Thank you, Mindy. Thank you, Mindy. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Mindy. Hi. Um, yeah, I appreciate Mindy um, acknowledging the progress. That's so important to recognize our own progress and seeing that more and more we're shifting moving towards the happy wheel of joy that God has for us in our hearts and minds instead of the wheel of suffering and to, and to embrace who we truly are and just witness 
that that isn't who we are and give it over for that that we are. Um, And that's God's will. God's will, when I align my will with God's, it really feels good to be in that surrendered state of mind where here's my open and receptive mind, fill it in with your joy. Um, And be in that home within ourselves where that joy resides. Um, And decide to save ourselves from the way we believe with accompanying feelings or, or emotions that are attached to that and and free ourselves like Karen shared how she was she wasn't just happy she uh, shared some whys to her happiness um, and to fulfill a, a function that God would have us fulfill and that to me is to share to serve in that happiness and trick and give it because as I uplift someone in my joy, I uplift, I continue to multiply that upliftment of God within myself. Um, and it's, 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 it's a nice circulation of, of, of happiness. I was meditating, um, focusing my awareness and attention to that joy within myself and being silent and receiving more of that feeling and vibration that was I was sending out. It's a constant exchange. It could be a constant exchange of sharing between God and I. Uh, my mind, there's a lesson, my mind is part of God, so I'm very holy. And so if my mind is part of God and I'm sharing God's will or loving thought, isn't that a continued connection? Um, speaking of connections, <laughs> I'm hearing some sandpapering. Maybe someone has woodwork in the basement that they're sanding right now. <laughs> Um, so, <laughs> so um, a friend of mine sent me a, a devotional, a page from his meditation book about faith and the importance of having faith, especially when a detour is being presented to us. Uh, in the way we see and the way we feel and what's in front of us. And it was so inspiring to read about about that because part of following God's will, God's plan for happiness, is faith and trust. So I'm I'm just taking that in because it's so relevant in my life. It resonates with me. And... I have a 
another friend that's going through a, a challenge, uh, and I give him a call, and he talks to me, and as he's talking to me, I'm hearing a nudge, a loving nudge to share what my friend shared with me, that gift. And I share it with him, and it's right in alignment and resonates tremendously with him. And there's the gift giving and receiving. Uh, and the result of that, uh, it really it really reminded him of his strength within himself and his trust and faith in his happy, ha- higher power for happy outcomes that uh, he wants in this in a situation where he lost his heating system. And um, it's nice that we can remember that God's loving heating system never goes out in our minds. And we could always hold on to that as a a sense of warmth, comfort, and, and happiness. I'm ultra complete. Thank you. Ultra complete. <laughs> Thank you, Chris. Doesn't sharing feel good? Thank you. Thank you, Chris. It's Karen again. I have another uh, tiny comment. Um, I I was reading in the course of love this morning, and I came across something that was right on point. It was talking about happiness or being right. It says happiness is not a priority here, here meaning the world, but being right is quite important to it. It It would prefer to be serious, the, the world or ego would prefer to be serious and heavy-hearted rather than light-hearted and gay. Being serious about life is a major strategy of the separated self, which recognizes its own seriousness as necessary to maintain its separation. Joy is truly the great, greatest threat to the separated self, for it comes from union and reinforces Union's appeal at the expense of the appeal of separation. And that is so true. I mean, when we're joyful, when we're happy, we're giving happiness out, we're sharing happiness, and we unify with everything. So I hadn't thought of it before, but it's just like judgment or guilt or fear. The ego likes to be miserable, doesn't want to be happy doesn't want to have joy. I'm complete. Thank you. Oh, that was so excellent, Karen. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you. It's like seriousness and heavy-heartedness 
is like one of the constructs of having a private world. You know, that's what it said to me. I'm complete. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I wish my mother had known that. I'm complete. Yeah. I was just thinking it's Robin Williams. Uh, Yeah. Thanks, everybody. I was just thinking about, uh, you know, how... Uh, if I perceive what I think is a mistake and then I realize that it isn't and I try to cover it up, it's there's another step. It's sort of like, I don't know if I'm going to make sense, but if I'm doing a painting and in the painting something odd happens, I usually really like that because then I make it into a flower. I I make it into something else and it becomes really um, exciting. And I was thinking of that in terms of making a mistake with the person, like misjudging or having an irritated feeling and then creating something beautiful out of that. Instead of trying to cover it up, I'm complete. <laughs> mm, thank you, Robin Marie. Thank you, Robin Marie. Well, good morning, everyone. This is Lori. And um, I am so glad that this reading is sprinkled with um, sprinkled with a lot of um, allowance. Um, if I asked or expect my ego to know what forgiveness is I'll look for a very long time without finding I had a friend one time that was studying Course in Miracles and and uh, was in a really rough patch just just a really rough patch 
a lot of um, things that one would ordinarily consider real violations of um, of how that person viewed uh, truth. A lot of violations were going on, and and at the time uh, that this was going on, it was so impossible uh, to understand forgiveness. And this person kept saying, yeah, but this, and yeah, but that, and yeah, but the other. And I've done that myself um, lots of times. Uh, yeah, but I know you want me to be able to forgive this or forgive that, but, 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 yeah, but. So, uh, I forget, Karen, yeah, thank you for bringing up the, the word right. Because uh, the ego thinks it knows everything. And he says that in this reading. Um, its job is to control and, and filter and uh, decide, it thinks, between right and wrong and good and bad and, and all the polarities that seem to cross the mind, you know, which one do I pick in that way? And um, it took a long time for me to realize that forgiveness is the gift of the Holy Spirit to me. It is impossible. And he talks about it in uh, the part two of the workbook, the very first, what is questions, what is forgiveness? And the bulk of those five paragraphs is dedicated to what is an unforgiving thought. And unforgiving thought is frantic. It goes here and there and here and there looking to overturn reality um, to pursue its goal of what's right and what's acceptable and what isn't. But forgiveness looks and waits and judges not. And then in that last paragraph of what is forgiveness, he says, do nothing then. And let forgiveness show you. Let forgiveness show you what to do through him who is your guide, your savior and defender, strong in hope and certain of your ultimate success. He has forgiven you already for such is his function given him by God. Now you must share his function and forgive whom he has saved, whose sinlessness he sees and whom he honors as the Son of God. And I, I, I'm, I'm reading that this morning because it took me a long time to realize that I, as a separate, seemingly separate individual, am incapable of that. And furthermore, it's not my function. And he says that in this reading. He says it uh, pretty clearly. Where he says, forgiveness through the Holy Spirit, in paragraph 14. Forgiveness through the Holy Spirit looks beyond error from the beginning. What has no effect doesn't exist. And by steadily canceling out, I'm not canceling out its effects. I'm not doing that. I'm allowing that to be done. By steadily canceling out its effects, he teaches that the ego does not exist. What is this thing that I thought was the, the forgiving part of me? 
um, it's not part of glory. <laughs> it's God's gift to me. And so Holy Spirit cancels out the effects and teaches that a separate glory doesn't exist, and then he proves it. And then he proves it. And you know what? That's where, to me, that's where happiness is. Um, that right there is where happiness is. And then he says in the next paragraph after that, miracles are a sign of your willingness to do something. No, your willingness to follow. Your willingness to follow. Do nothing then and let your guide show you. And I really have enjoyed the dialogue this morning uh, in the sense that um, I can't, I can't know what the next moment is going to be like. I can't, I can't know, nor is it my job to know. I can't know what tomorrow is, nor is it my job to know that. But the gift, the real gift of forgiveness, miracles being a sign of your willingness, is the gift of looking in that rearview mirror. Oh boy, you know, I can't see anything of the future. But when I look back, when I look back in my rearview mirror, I can see, I can see how my life has been changed. My whole outlook has been changed for me. It was all done for me. And it all happened as a consequence of what he says in paragraph 18. Be glad that you've been wrong. Be glad that you've been wrong. And I'm so glad that I was wrong. <laughs> I'm so glad I was wrong about everything. I'm so glad to accept the gift of happiness. I thought it was something I had to come up with, and I'm telling you truly, honest to God, I spent at least six years wishing for death to take me every day and seriously uh, making an effort to allow that to happen because I thought, <laughs> because I thought I had to make happiness rather than let it be made for me. We have, don't we, I'm going to say my mind. My mind was so cluttered with expectations of how the world should be, how life should be, how I should be, how you should be. All of these shoulds cluttered my mind constantly. And especially um, a belief that, that uh, love can disappear. That was a belief I held, that love could go away. And all of these cluttered interferers kept me from realizing that um, I was wrong, <laughs> that I was just wrong. And I'm glad I was wrong. Today I'm so glad I was wrong. I'm so glad that every moment can be a fresh and new experience if I'm not cluttered with my own ideas. I'm so glad I was wrong. I'm so glad when I am wrong. You know, he says, as a matter of fact, he says, the atonement principle came into being before the idea of separation. Uh, a plan was made. This plan is not of you. It's not of your making. It's God's gift. 
because he realized we made a mistake in our mind that um, that we had cluttered up idea of what reality should be like from this perspective of being an individual. But when that perspective of being an individual uh, doesn't clutter my mind anymore, uh, all that's left is reality. I'm so in love, so in love with the consciousness of Elder Brother, who's always willing to give me the truth when I say I don't know. And uh, there's a really excellent book that I mentioned only for this, that this ego idea of how things should be steals my life away from me. It borrows its reality from my eternity. It says that here. It's, it's a thief of my truth. And I am able to ask that to retire every time I say I don't know. I'm asking that idea of separation um, to take a retirement break. And it turns out that that voice of all the shoulds never, ever, ever has an argument when I say I don't know. That's how he proves to me that ego doesn't exist. I can't argue with it. I can't dialogue with it. I can't say to it, uh, tell me why you think that might be true and expect the same answer. It's impossible to communicate with it. It's a telling machine is all it is. And when I say I don't know, it can't argue back with me. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I'm so glad I was wrong. And every time I have a chance to say I don't know, I'm so glad that truth will uh, take up the space that I give it. And um, a consequence of all of that to me is I no longer pray restore unto me the joy of my salvation. The joy of my salvation is always there the instant I share it. I didn't know that part. And so when I live in truth, it's there. And it shares itself. How do I know? Because I can see it in my rearview mirror. My life has changed. Be glad. Be glad you were wrong. I'm so glad I'm wrong. Anyway, I think I'm complete. Wow, that was so beautiful. I'm glad you were wrong, too. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Lori. That was beautiful. Thank you, Lori. I I appreciate your ability to communicate these beautiful expressions through you and as you. Oh, 
I'm so grateful. Thank you, guys. Hi, it's Karen again. I know it's redundant. Uh, you all probably know this, but it's like reinforcing it, the clarity of it in my own mind to repeat it. But in this reading of, in the text, it talks about how it doesn't make our errors real. It asks us to look beyond them, and it just it just reminds me of therapy. You know, in therapy, we make our errors real. We talk about them, you know. We turn them into the truth in our ego minds. And then we try to get past it. And instead of that, and it's almost like it it requires some kind of skillful shift, you know, to to not have the reality of the problem built up but to look beyond the problem. It's, you know, like I've been sharing about my son-in-law, future-to-be son, uh, ex-son-in-law. Um, not even hearing what's going on. I want to put it that far out of my mind and only sit in the love and the appreciation and, you know, the prayer for everyone to be perfect instead of being in what the drama seems to be that's happening. But when it, hap- when it comes to my other daughter and she's going through stuff, that's a lot harder for me to not go into what's going on physically in the worldly way, but to skip over it and get to, you know, the truth. So anyway, that's one of my takeaways from the reading today. You know, he said, don't make it real. Don't make it real. And then try to deal with it. Skip the real part. Don't make it real with your mind. I'm complete. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Thanks, Karen. Thanks. Thank you, Karen. This is Sandra, and, um, you know, for me, what what makes it real, I appreciate um, what you were saying, Karen, is that I take it personally. And that's that's it. There's, I'm not, (laughs) that's the ego. The ego personalizes everything and and thinks it's about the person and, and takes it in instead of letting it just roll off. You know, I take, this is awful, but, and there's so much mental illness on this planet right now, and everybody's on medication, because it's, it's, this is a trauma planet, and, um, you know, I, I take mental illness personally. I grew up with it, and, and, um, and it's, it's, it was really a gift because it's, and maybe I'm mentally ill too. I probably am because the rest of the world is so insane. Um, and this is talking about insanity, which is mental illness. 
And the ego is the epitome of mental illness. And the ego wants to take everything personally, like it's all about them. It's not. It's just people making mistakes and not knowing any better. They're innocent. We're all innocent. And and it's it's the problem is me taking it personally. <laughs> it's not that people don't make mistakes. We all do. And we're all innocent. We're not making mistakes on purpose. I kind of look at, I've said this before when I was building this beautiful home that I live in and creating this environment that I've created all around me. Um, you know, when things didn't go the way I wanted them to, I felt I went. I I felt awful. I took it all personally. And I can, I must say, I still take things personally, but I don't act it out. That's all. I don't I don't lash out at people because I know that it's me taking it personally and and it's once again it's it's been that it's that gift as soon as I catch myself taking it personally I got to call on the Holy Spirit because I don't know how to get out of it so the first step is in place at least I'm noticing I'm still taking things personally and that's what hurts not what the people did it's that I took it personally that makes it hurt because people are people are people, and, and right now, people are insane. A lot of people are very insane and very, they're angry, they're, they're, there's every emotion under the sun flying around there. And, 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 and people are seeking outside of themselves to try to get relief. Um, and and people think they're alone if they're not with somebody. I mean, one of the biggest things that I experience with people is codependency. People stay in relationships, and then all they do is complain about that relationship and how terrible that it is, and you know how much they hate their per- partner, and they stay. <laughs> I can't imagine that feels good, and I know how it feels because I stayed. I was with somebody who was emotionally abusive and because he didn't beat me I didn't think I was being abused and I couldn't understand why I didn't like him but believe me I took it all personally <laughs> uh, I'll tell you that's a big one and um, it's not an easy to me the only thing it's like judgment and it goes so hand in hand with judgment because I think for me I take it personally and then I start judging. And all I have to do is stop taking it personally. Not personal. It's just what is and ju- and that's it. The suffering is about me taking it personally instead of just accepting what is. And yeah, accepting what is can be a harsh acceptance of a reality that's not very pleasant. You know, however, because of who I am and because of what I'm connected to, which is my creator, even in the most unpleasant situation, there's always that connection with the Holy Spirit and with my creator. So there's always hope and there's always faith that when I learn the lesson that I need to learn here, which could be complete surrender and acceptance, and not taking it personally that that everything will you know that there's possibility for things to to shift and change it doesn't always have to stay the same and that's a big part of the depression for a lot of people is they don't see that it's going to change 
And it's not going to change. We have to change, and then it will change. I'm complete. Beautiful, Sandra. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you, Sandra. This is Harrison. Uh, I'm driving, so I hope the noise isn't too bad. But, uh, Sandra, you really hit the nail on the head for me. Um, You know, I've been mentally ill. uh, And uh, all of us, in a sense, are mentally ill because we don't realize the truth of who we are. Uh, So uh, we think we're alone if there's not a body near us or with us. Uh, We think we are sick and unhealthy uh, because of what the body tells us. Uh, so we we just simply don't realize the truth of who we are. If we did, we'd realize, first of all, that we're not this body, uh, that we remain as God created us, that we're perfect, uh, peaceful, happy, uh, all of those things apply to us. And that's all we are. We can't be another thing. And so the, the course has been for me this unraveling of all that I now believe about myself and about my brothers and sisters. There there are no bad people. None. I don't care what they seem to do in the illusion. Yeah, they do mean things, abusive things, and all of those things that we have judged as unacceptable. We do things that we have just is unacceptable and we beat ourselves up about it. And yet the, the, the Course is telling you, telling me, that the truth is you are as God created you. You are His perfect creation. Thank God, thank God that I can go beyond this image that I have created or have allowed others to to try and convince me that that's who I am. So thank you so much, Sandra, for really uh, exposing that thought for me. I'm complete. 
You're beautiful, welcome. Harrison. Yes. Sorry. Thank you, Harrison. Thank you, Harrison. When I first opened the book, the textbook, because it was in three parts at that time of the course, way back in, sorry, in the late 80s, I was put back by the Christian terminology because I was raised in the in the Lutheran Church, which is not far away from Catholic. And even as a young girl before I was a teenager, I had eschewed, or however you pronounce it, the traditional Christianity and found like New Age sort of teaching by the time I was 11. And uh, didn't like all the stuff in traditional Christianity about sin and being born in sin and all that kind of stuff, of course. And uh, But I'm really glad, you know, so I closed the book of the course. But I'm really glad that uh, I opened it up again at some point <laughs> and started to read it because in that I found over time, and what else is time for, right? I found that... A description, the words, the phrases, the way he wrote it, what he said. Uh, like I said, it's to me, it's not just a book. It's a being, capital with a capital V, that was fathered by Jesus and mothered by Helen, with some help from her friend and coworker, and uh, it's given me a lot. I wasn't never a lawyer like Harrison was, and I, I'm not good at putting my ideas into wonderful, convincing words, etc., etc. But I think you all know what I mean when I say that gave me my life back, even though um, I was only. Uh, in my early 40s at the time, I think I had gotten very jaded about life and uh, and stuff like that because I had too many experiences with, well, all kinds of um, sarcasm and all kinds of misogyny and all kinds of things like that. Where, and uh, on some level, the love that I felt would save the world when I was a kid, gradually over time I got to a point where I started to not care about the rest of humanity very much because if they, the sides that they showed me of themselves were not good. <laughs> but I've made a turnaround since then, almost help from the Course, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, you guys and on the calls since I first joined in 215 and my own uh, my own gumption I guess and uh, start to see humanity in a better light see that 
everybody has the Holy Spirit within them and it can come out at the most unexpected times. Thank you. I'm complete. Thank you, Ida. Thank you, Ida. That expression gave me my life back. Thank you. Eleven o'clock. There's Judy. Hi, Lori. I was going to share, but it's Hi. eleven o'clock, so you probably have some nice wrap for us. I can wait until the after call, but I would like to share. Thank you. Well, I'd love to hear your share, Judy. Feel free now, hon. Okay. Um, the atonement is the lesson in sharing. I'm taking away a number of um, really generalized, um, universally um, applicable ideas um, that God's will is one, the atonement is one, atonement is um, the undoing of what never was, that the fantasy of us being in bodies, an image of our own making, which was not created, um, the undoing of that is salvation, um, undoing of a, a, mistake, a mistaken belief in our own self-appraisal, as we would think reality is, the difference between what is real and what is unreal, what is true and what is false, um, you know, these are, are big, big um, ideas in, in the course and in the lessons and undoing the way that the separate mind of the ego thinks and what it determines through the body's perception is validation for its, sep- its separate identif- identification to the body. It's a symbol. The text uses the word symbols today, which is very important to me, to my understanding of what the Course is. I'm, I'm learning from the Course about the truth of who I am, that I am not an image to be perceived, that there is no perception in knowledge. I can know the experience of myself in truth, but I cannot be perceived. I am not an image. I am innocent of anything, anything in the ego's fantasy, image-making, the imagination of the ego, in the images of the world. Perceptions are images perceived through the perceiver body and perceived as objects other than itself. And this is where all duality and separation lies, in the world of relativity and of separation. And that we are all of it, that we are everything, as ideas in the consciousness of God. That is where the totality of my reality is. The second coming of Christ, it speaks of in the final judgment, it speaks of in the text today, The second coming is my coming to. I came to the Course and I came to 
the awareness that I am price consciousness, which is not even second to the mind of God. It's one with the mind of God and knows everything as itself. That God created everything and then he created his son and gave it all to, to his son as himself. That love created everything in love as itself and that it's all purely mind in the heart, mind and heart of the spirit of God without form, without edges, without distinctions or boundaries or form. Recognize form does not matter. The Holy Spirit has taught me. The form of it doesn't matter. It's not what the eyes, the body's eyes can see. Perception of form is deception. Perception through the body's eyes maintains the mistaken belief in something that I'm not. It is the ego's fantasy. It is the ego's fantasy. And the second coming of Christ, it says right here, is merely the return of the sense to how we were created in our original state. I am naturally spirit, free, without limit, without a body. There were no bodies. Um, before consciousness split, split the mind into an image maker, into a perceiver and perceived. Perceived, uh, to, in order to perceive something, I had to per become a perceiver to perceive myself as something. <laughs> the symbols of fantasy are all of the ego. Their reality is twice removed from signs and symbols the lessons are beginning to speak of going beyond words, beyond symbols, beyond images, to the wordless, silent stillness of knowing, 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 knowledge. So fantasies are gone, and reality, which has always been here, prior to thinking, prior to any thought, any image, any idea, any self-concept, before I could imagine myself as being something other than God. And only this awareness heals because this is the awareness of truth. I have to be aware of the totality of my reality and be still in, in stillness and know the voice of God's talking to me. He's like closer to me in stillness and silence than, than the ego's voice would, who talks first and would override it, would superimpose itself on this beautiful reality of what and who and where I am, which is everything, everywhere, always. It's omnipresent, om, omniscient, and om, om, omnipotent that knowledge is power and all knowledge is of God. I have no power or no knowledge in Judy's little head. She doesn't know her damn thing. <laughs> but I have the voice of God, the voice, the one and only voice of the Holy Spirit who knows everything, all the time, everywhere, in my relationship to myself. And there's only one way to be and hold it and love it as myself. 
in gentleness and tenderness, in open-mindedness without judgment, without evaluation, without assumptions or conclusions, without agenda. I don't know the plan. He knows it. But I know it only in the moment that I'm embracing it and being with it and being and holding with it, with it and for it, not against it, never against it, never at war with it, never in conflict with it. I'm in peace, and I'm happy with it, for God reveals himself to me when I let him. I can't, I can't see without him. I can only see the truth with him through, through Christ's forgiving eyes, the eyes of vision, the, the eyes that can see things truly without distortion or interpretation or opinions, evaluations. I can't, he can, and I'll let him. All is of him. And joy, the joy in I don't know, I love that. I don't know, he does. And I'll let him tell me. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen today. <laughs> I'm going places and doing things, certainly. But um, what's going to happen? Only as, as, um, as God would have me be. And I... There's nothing outside of me that can prevent me from being happy, joyous, and free. Thank you. That's a whole 12 minutes. Thank you, Lori. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Judy. <laughs> oh, that was great. I'm, I'm sitting here looking at um, Chapter 16, Forgiveness of Illusions, The Magnitude of Holiness. And I think you touched on uh, virtually every idea in that section. Um, but my guidance was to close with this and the magnitude of holiness from chapter 16. One of my most favorite quotes, reality is safe and sure and wholly kind to everyone and everything. There is no greater love than to accept this and be glad for love asks only that you be happy and will give you everything that makes for happiness. You have never given any problem to the Holy Spirit he has not solved for you, nor will you ever do so. You have never tried to solve anything yourself and been successful. <laughs> Is it not time you brought these facts together and made sense of them? This is the year for the application of the ideas which have been given you. This is the year for happiness. For the ideas are mighty forces to be used and not held idly by. They have already proved their power sufficiently for you to place your faith in them and not in their denial. This year, invest in truth and let it work in peace. Have faith in what has faith in you. Have faith in what has faith in you. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for your testimonies. 
of our guys. Thank you. I'm so grateful. Cheers. Thank you, Lori. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Lori. Alrighty. You guys are great. Well, let's see. When I press the record button, it doesn't activate, so let me press a different button. Here we go. Well, I hope there's been a recording because uh, I you can't deactivate it either. It's still showing as blue for me too, Mark. Will you well, give it a shot, hon? Please. Sure. 